Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and we're back for part two of the pancreas. And I left off last time talking about acute pancreatitis with some of the complications, and then I mentioned chronic pancreatitis. And chronic pancreatitis is something we see commonly in practice. Sometimes the patient has known history of pancreatitis, and sometimes it's detecting the sequela. The CT appearance of pancreatitis is kind of typical, but variable. You can have glandular enlargement, either diffuse or focal. You can have dilatation of the pancreatic duct that is indeed common, and often the duct dilatation is a bit irregular. You may see calcifications within the duct. You may see pancreatic atrophy. And in fact, some patients with uh, chronic pancreatitis even have what appears to be a normal-appearing pancreas. Sometimes the gland looks very dense on non-contrast CT and doesn't have the typical enhancement you would expect to get with a normal pancreas. So... There's a range of findings and a range of possibilities. And just some simple things, classic thing on CT, calcifications in the pancreatic head, and uh, that's showing you a little bit of compression on the portal vein, making the point that vascular involvement, I mentioned splenic artery pseudoaneurysms, portal vein thrombosis, SMV thrombosis, clot, or all other complications, splenic vein occlusion. One thing I showed this case is also to make the point is sometimes it's hard to distinguish chronic pancreatitis from pancreatic cancer. The symptoms can be the same, weight loss, abdominal pain, vague symptoms, and the patient sometimes with no history of pancreatitis and can indeed be very problematic and it can be very confusing. Some helpful things, you often don't see a common duct dilated. In this case, you don't, and you don't see a pancreatic duct dilated. This patient had some history of pancreatitis, so it was a bit easier, but you could see it can be difficult. And even in a case like this, which shows you calcifications and dilated duct, sometimes you can get pancreatic cancer. Mayo Clinic reported 5% incidence of pancreatic cancer in patients with chronic pancreatitis. So an important thing with chronic pancreatitis, particularly if you're following patients, if things change, if there's one area in the head of the pancreas that has no calcifications and everything else has calcifications, I worry about that area because maybe that's a carcinoma. So again, it's usually a simple diagnosis but not always that simple. When you have more glandular atrophy or very dense calcifications, as in this case, there really is no problem in making a very specific diagnosis. Duct dilatation will indeed vary. As I mentioned, calcifications in the duct are not uncommon. A big duct, sometimes irregular. Remember one differential between pancreatic cancer and chronic pancreatitis. With the cancer, there's an acute obstruction, so the duct is dilated but smooth. Often with chronic pancreatitis, it's irregular, and you see many of the side branches and often the presence of calcifications. Now, what else can I tell you? I mentioned before that uh, we talk about pancreatitis as biliary disease and alcohol abuse as 90%, but there are other types of pancreatitis. One you've heard a lot about recently, autoimmune pancreatitis, something you've heard a bit less about, groove pancreatitis, there's hereditary pancreatitis, cystic fibrosis patients get pancreatitis. Remember, in CF patients, the most common thing is the diffuse replacement of the gland by fat. You see what is the shadow of the gland on CT, but it's totally replaced by fat, or maybe you see the duct. Pancreatic divism associated with pancreatitis often has mass effect, can simulate a tumor. Tropical pancreatitis and ascaris-induced pancreatitis. And I will tell you, the last one I have not seen a case of. So you have to take the literature's word that it indeed is true.
What about autoimmune pancreatitis? We've written some articles about that. It's a very important diagnosis because autoimmune pancreatitis often simulates carcinoma. And we've seen patients go to surgery for a pancreatic mass and the path is autoimmune pancreatitis. So how can you recognize it? It's a diffusely enlarged gland with loss of lobular architecture. It kind of looks smooth. It's sausage shape with a peripheral rind of hypoattenuation, non-dilated diffusely narrowed pancreatic duct and extrahepatic immune manifestations. Article by Shang Boho. It's also known to let you know as lymphoplasmicidic sclerosing, a pancreatitis, LPSP. The autoimmune pancreatitis is easier to say, and that tends to rule the day. Chronic sclerosing pancreatitis, pseudotumorous pancreatitis, and non-alcoholic duct destructive chronic pancreatitis, which is a big word. Now, autoimmune pancreatitis is a type of chronic pancreatitis that are characterized by an autoimmune response with lymphoplasmocytic infiltration associated with fibrosis of the pancreas. The key findings are a classic history of absence of priopancreatitis, critical elevated immunoglobulin G4, that makes the answer usually, dramatic response to steroid therapy, as long as you're thinking about the possibility. And again, the point is that it can very much simulate a mass in the pancreas. It can simulate diffuse enlargement, but can be more focal. And so it's very, very tricky. Age range 14 to 77, often uh, most patients are over 50, so it's in that category of pancreatic cancer, at least from an age perspective. Men, twice as common to have it as women. The signs and symptoms and presentation include jaundice, pain, weight loss, diabetes. Man, that sounds like pancreatic cancer. Exact same presentation. Extra pancreatic processes that patients may have include sclerosing, cholangitis, and primary biliary cirrhosis, high percent. IBD, usually ulcerative colitis, Sjogren's syndrome, renal involvement, and retroperitoneal fibrosis. So again, there's often a history that goes along that might help you jump on the diagnosis. CT perspective, that featureless gland, glandular enlargement with loss of lobular texture. Remember before in the acute pancreatitis section of this talk, I showed you these very nice 3D maps, this lobular appearance. Well, you lose that. It's kind of this featureless gland. Or you may see homogeneously or iso or hypoattenuating parenchyma with a non-dilated or diffusely narrowed pancreatic duct, so there's some variation there. And a halo around the gland, this edema halo, this low density, talk about a cigar shape with a halo, is not uncommon. So a couple examples. You see the gland here kind of looks edematous and irregular. It was not enhancing correctly. Almost looks like pancreatic necrosis. But when you look more closely, it's kind of like a rim around the outside. you got to mention this possibility, autoimmune pancreatitis, because then you could test the IG4 and you can make a very specific diagnosis. These patients are treated correctly, they do well. Another example, same case, very much showing you that sausage-shaped appearance and the loss of primary parenchyma definition. Another case, here the gland looks diffusely large, but you see that subtle amount of fluid around the gland? That's what we were talking about before, and it's a bit easier to see in its extent on the coronal display. Look at the undersurface of the gland. Look how the fluid is there and tracking, you know, tracking toward the head. And again, here it is on a 3D map very nicely shown. Now with autoimmune pancreatitis, you can see here diffuse enlargement, the halo, the loss of uh, appearance and texture of the gland, though the vessels do remain the same. So here is the SMA and celiac axis looking good. And here is just another example of that same case.
So it's very, very tricky. Now, most cases of autoimmune pancreatitis tend to be diffuse, though occasionally they can be focal, and when they're focal, they're more common. Sometimes it looks like this case. This looks like run-of-the-mill pancreatitis. So sometimes you'll call a pancreatitis and you won't get the autoimmune part right, but uh, that's okay. But it's something to at least consider and to think about as becoming a very popular diagnosis. As I mentioned, autoimmune pancreatitis can be confused with pancreatic cancer. They both have history of weight loss. Neither of them have a good history of pancreatitis. The CA-99 may be elevated, and the CT appearance is often mass-like and looks like pancreatic cancer. When it's diffuse, okay, it's a bit easier, but when it's focal, it can be very problematic. A number of articles, this one by Takahashani, pancreas and autoimmune pancreatitis exhibited decreased enhancement in the pancreatic phase with nearly normal enhancement in the hepatic phase of imaging. So again, the early phase has the biggest issues in part, and this other comment in the focal form of autoimmune pancreatitis, enhancement of the mass was progressive, whereas pancreatic carcinoma was of low attenuation in both the pancreatic and hepatic phases. So what the article is saying is if you see a mass and you're not certain what it is, but uh, it's not really enhancing to any degree, um, you've got to be thinking about autoimmune pancreatitis. Now, there's another type of pancreatitis. A lot's been written about this groove pancreatitis, which also can simulate a mass. You see soft tissue within the pancreatic duodenal groove with or without delayed enhancement, small cystic lesions around the medial duodenal wall. So it's in that kind of groove there. And there's a number of different cases of that. It tends to behave a little bit differently. Often will require therapy, but again, something to consider. So hopefully I've gone through a number of different things in these past two talks talking about pancreatitis and the role CT plays, and that's not changed for 25 years. Again, in this era of watching radiation dose, we want to make certain, particularly on follow-ups, that we limit the dose to the patient. You can scan with lower MAS. Patients are smaller, you can scan with lower KVP, particularly for follow-ups, and you'll still be able to pick up the complications. As I mentioned before, IV contrast is critical. The key complications that will cause morbidity and mortality are not going to be picked up unless you give the patient IV contrast material, or you're just going to miss them in such a high percent of cases. It's just like you're never going to see them. And again, this whole issue of CT, not every patient, uh, even in the days we didn't think about radiation, needed a CT for pancreatitis. Most patients are treated medically. It's mild. It resolves on its own. But when you're thinking complication, when you're uncertain of the diagnosis, that's where CT works very nicely, and that's where this talk will be of greatest value to you. And with that, have a great day.